When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Hope you've had a great week. So, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the latest induction ceremony is going to be held uh, at Barclays Center uh, the night we're having this discussion, and then it's going to air on HBO on April 29th. Pearl Jam is being inducted. Yeah. Tupac Shakur is being inducted. ELO are being inducted. Who else is being inducted? Lots of other people. There's John Baez. Yes. Tupac. I said Tupac. Oh, sorry. Well, and <laughs> Tupac's so good, he was, he's being inducted yeah, like he's three inducted times. Twice. Yeah, he's the first solo rapper to ever be inducted. Yes, you're very enamored of that fact, and I think it is an important it's fact. It's an important fact. It's just noteworthy that the rap groups of the, that in the 80s, that rap was more of a group thing. Now, by the 90s, which we're finally in with the Hall of Fame, it's more solo artists. That is true. It will yes. hopefully be the first of many. Yes. I'm, as Gene Simmons, I'm sure, is, is dying. Gene Simmons, I'm sure, has a long list of all the solo rappers who should get in right after Tupac. I will consult him. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I'm really excited about this ceremony. I'm excited uh, about a bunch of performances, and we've been lucky enough to see a bunch of Hall of Fames in person. I'd say it's one of the the nicer perks of, of our jobs, and I've gotten to see a bunch over the years. And even the old shows that were never broadcast, which was a very frustrating thing in the '90s, you'd see like two second clips on the news of like the most insane jam ever, and they'd be like, "And that's all we have." And it was it was maddening. But now you can see and hear all those things on YouTube and elsewhere, and there's a DVD that you can buy. Um, so there's so many great ones. Uh, I'll start by asking you, what are, what are your favorite uh, Hall of Fame performances? Uh, just a couple. My favorite performances, I love the Talking Heads reunion yeah. in 2002, I believe, because they didn't play together in so long. It's the last time they played. They rehearsed for a while. They brought in the full Stop Making Sense band. It was just a real emotional moment to finally see that happen. Yeah, that, so that's number one. What's What else? Uh, I love the Prince thing, obviously, which is so famous. Yeah. Uh, when he honored George Harrison. Uh, I love the Kareem reunion. I love I I love Nirvana when they play, played with all of the guest singers. Yeah. Like, now, now you're just stealing mine. But yes, well, yeah, sorry. yeah, yes. That's I mean, and I, I will say in a moment what we're really going to do is talk about the craziest moments at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions over the years, and there really have been a lot of crazy ones. Um, there's also been a lot of gr- just p- full-on great performances. I just wanted to touch on that. So yeah, Nirvana was truly incredible, especially I never got to see them live. I don't think you did either. No, you were no, no. much too young. Yeah. Um, I, I theoretically could have seen them, but I never got to. Um, and to see, and it all built up that night because it was the last thing. It was a very long night. The E Street Band gave, God bless them, gave like about three hours worth of acceptance speeches. Uh, so there was, there was a lot of build up, Hall and Oates. It was, it was a lot. And then, you know, at the end of the night, you have Nirvana and just to have Grohl back at the drum kit, playing Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, yeah. It was eerie. And it, it was really great. It was the first time they'd played Nirvana songs since the last show with Kurt. Right. I mean, it was a huge moment, and they were wondering for a while about who could possibly fill Kurt's shoes. Then they had the idea of getting four separate women, which was great. <laughs> as, a, as opposed to four uh, 
four, like a four-headed woman, like a sort the of idea, Voltron. I think yeah, they, they were thinking first women. about, hey, you know, right. they, do we get Paul McCartney again? Like, oh, right. wait, because, no, you know, it just got, it, it was an idea to flip it. Right, so that, it takes the pressure off of making some dude kind of like, take the burden or even one woman and it was, it was clever. Lord was pretty incredible yeah. that night. And I remember actually pogoing during smells like teen spirit. It, it was, uh, it was, it was sad too. It really was sad. But, um, and, and then I, I think the, the funniest thing was Chris Novoselic said that he, he bought the Nirvana tab, bass tab book uh-huh. to learn the bass parts to the Nirvana songs, which is like the funniest thing ever. It blows my mind. I, I think about that every every once in a while. I think about that and laugh because they happen to be not the most complicated bass parts in the world. And he wrote them, but the idea yeah. that he's sitting there, like he played them years ago. Yeah. Some dude sits there and painstakingly like writes down what he played. He twenty five years later <laughs> picks up the book and is and like, he oh, it. oh, the dude who played this is pretty good. Well, it's, it's like it's like Tommy Thayer when he taught Ace Freely. <laughs> all his parts back when Kiss when they reformed he he needed the Kiss tribute guy to, to like, teach him all of his parts did Chris lose those parts when he was hitting the head with the face <laughs> at the VMA <laughs> well it had been 25 years been or so yeah. since he'd played and then that night they went to a club in Brooklyn and played for like two hours all Nirvana yeah I don't remember and about that we didn't go no, we, 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 were, we were we didn't get it we that's, okay. that's okay possibly that's, the single okay. coolest concert in the history of my time in the city was that and, and we, we didn't, didn't know go. what was happening and we weren't invited but that's okay yeah. neither, neither was everyone else in the world so that is really okay yes so cr- craziest moments which aren't just performances because one of the things that causes the tension that makes these events interesting is that you know you're often getting people who haven't spoken to each other yeah. in many years people who have uh you know <laughs> perhaps only seen each other in courtrooms yeah i mean it's the only place in the world where people who truly despise each other in bands are forced to come together yeah there's no other thing that can make it happen there's nothing else that can make led zeppelin stand up there basically right it is. It's amazing yeah. how often they end up hating each other. <laughs> well, bands, yeah, like bands break up, or bands, or they change their lineups, and the rock hall will bring in the first lineup, and then these past members that have been just nursing hatred for decades. <laughs> sometimes they sit at home for years thinking about their hatred of these people, and then they have to stand and in front of cameras and smile. Yeah, or not, or or, or scream. And the funny thing is, like the guys in Kiss handled it so classily. Well, in the end. but they wouldn't play together. But but but. <laughs> While they were up there, perfect gentlemen. After all that, after yeah. all that, and uh, you know, believe me, there was a lot of buildup. Yeah, but Paul's speech was kind of bitter. I mean, they yeah. were a little pissy about the whole thing. So anyway, um, let's start at the very beginning, which okay. is what first year was 1986 at the Waldorf Astoria. Wow, and yeah, it was a small scale thing back then. There were cameras there, but not a ton. There was no thought of it being broadcast. And like Chuck Berry was the first person to be inducted by Keith Richards. Yeah. Um, and that sort of began his comeback of sorts because that, that got the ball rolling on the documentary. But the first two years, it was a pretty small scale thing. And, and they were largely taken in the acts of the, of the 50s. I mean, it was the pioneers that got in back then. And they didn't perform till the very end. Right. But then... 88 is sort of when things started to get nuts. Yeah, and then, yeah. Because in 87, they screwed up and bought in everybody out of the 50s. That I didn't get in the first year. It was like 16 people. So they they so they weren't thinking all long term. Then by 88, it was Dylan and the, and, and the Beatles and the Supremes and the Beach Boys 
and it was crazy. And Mike loves speech. So the Beach <laughs> the Beach Boys were inducted. Yeah, they all get to make their speech, and and Mike Love makes I think one yeah. of the greatest speeches in the history of you know human discourse, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's a strange thing because he should have been happy. They just had Kokomo, so they weren't exactly <laughs> in a bad patch. You know, they had a bigger hit than the Stones that they've had in years, or, or anybody. It was a true huge pop well, hit. Well, to put this in context, uh, yeah. let, let's hear, <laughs> let's hear what Mike Love had to say. I also think it's sad that there are other people who aren't here tonight, and uh, those are the people who have passed away. Those are the obvious ones, but the other not so obvious ones are people like Paul McCartney, who couldn't be here tonight because he's in a lawsuit with Ringo. And, y- and Yoko. That's what he sent a telegram to, to some uh, high-priced attorney in this room, you know? Now, that's a bummer, because we're talking about harmony, right, in the world. If we can't get it together in America and in England in harmony within our groups, I mean, believe it. You can believe it. The Beach Boys have their own interstices or whatever you call it, squabbles. But that's a bummer when Ms. Ross can't make it, you know? The Beach Boys have continued to do about, we did about 180 performances last year. I'd like to see the mop tops match that. I'd like to see Mick Jagger get out on his stage and do I Get Around versus Jumpin' Jack Flash any day now. Now a lot of people are gonna go out of this room tonight thinking that Mike Love is crazy. Well, they've been saying that for years. Ain't nothing new about that. What's so funny about that is he said he didn't realize that Mick Jagger that he's in the front row. He was he was, he was calling out Jagger because he didn't show up and he was right there. Well, but he wanted to hear a I, a what, battle of the bands. Yeah, he, I didn't really to this day. I'm not sure what he was proposing. Like like I guess he was saying that yeah. they performed "I Get Around" with more energy than Mick well, performs "Jumping Jack Flash." Is that? I think <laughs> it was a lot of frustration is coming forward. He was in the room with Dylan and the Stones and the Beatles, and in his mind. The Beach Boys are as mighty as those groups. And they were playing, you know, fairs and everything. And they were doing about 190 shows a year or something to that point. Or more. It's crazy. And he just felt that they were they didn't get the same respect as the Stones and the Beatles get. And he's been asked about it a lot. And his line is always that he didn't meditate that morning. Because <laughs> he lashed out at the, at the entire world of like classic rock basically if you watch his if you actually watch the clip on youtube we we can't provide for you at the moment but if if you watch his eyes are just blazing with hatred it's the greatest (laughs) thing so let's hear and then people underestimate how funny uh and how sort of aware bob dylan is and we'll we'll hear just a a tiny snippet of bob dylan's speech which came a little later in the night and uh i want to thank mike love for not mentioning me Uh, and uh I play a lot of dates every year, too. Uh, And uh, peace, love, and harmony is greatly important indeed, but so is forgiveness, and we got to have that, too. So thanks. (laughs) 
It's true. It's I, a, I, Mike Love did not mention him, so that, no, that was good. And then George said later that he guessed that Mike forgets the lessons of the Maharishi. Because <laughs> you know, they were in India together and they were buddies. And it was all about peace and love and not like vicious attacks for no reason. Did anyone ever inform George about like Sexy Sadie and, and, the, and the actual lessons of the Maharishi? That's another story. That's a whole other that's issue. Whole other and, and that's still debated to this day. Okay, great. That's a whole other subject, yes. Um, <laughs> but that night ended with the biggest all-star jam in the history of rock and roll. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who was on stage that night? It was okay. like it was like Springsteen it, and Paul McCartney and I'll, Mick I'll just read okay. some names. Okay. It was like Billy Joel and Les Paul, John Fogarty, Benny King, Bob Dylan, George Harrison, The Supremes, Jagger, um, Elton John, Paul Schaefer, Yoko and Ringo and all the Beach Boys and Jeff Beck. All at once, right? Yes. They, that, that's the crazy thing. It was like all playing. Yeah. yeah. I was interviewing Jeff Beck once and uh, I asked him about it and he said that there's no rehearsal and it sounded worse than any noise that he's heard in his whole life. Because <laughs> he said the sound of 48 guitars playing at once, all unrehearsed, <laughs> is just like the worst thing you, you've ever heard. That's funny because Nils Lofgren said a similar thing about the 1995, it was the big concert to celebrate the actual opening yeah. of the Hall of Fame itself, the physical building in Cleveland, and they had a jam led by Chuck Berry who apparently, uh, rest in peace, kept changing the key every verse, yeah. and you had some of the greatest musicians on earth completely unable to follow him, and, yeah. it, and uh, Nils said that it was literally the worst train wreck the Eastry Band had been involved in since they were like 12 years old. Well, yeah, so. and they're playing at a football stadium live on pay-per-view. <laughs> And Chuck Berry is just changing the key every two seconds. Which there's no reason for, by the way, other than sheer hostility. Yeah, basically. <laughs> there's, there's no good musical reason for that. So let's hear a little bit, not of the 1995 jam, which, by the way, I cannot find anywhere. I think it's been erased from history. We Dave, the opening jam on uh, Johnny Be Good. Yeah, but, but not the closing. because I think closing it's, jam. I think it's so cataclysmic that they're afraid the yeah, world they, will explode. Yeah, they burned it. all copies of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's the lost ark. It's like the Star like, Wars holiday special <laughs> of, of rock and roll. Uh, so let's hear uh, a little bit of that all-star jam that night not not in 95 but in 1988 so moving on you, yeah. you you're a big fan of the 1990 I think um, Simon and Garfunkel speeches yeah because that was a period in which Simon and Garfunkel were not speaking to each other and really not you know, it was a bad period in their civil war, and then Art gets up there and is very gracious, and he's like, "I want to thank you know Paul. He's enriched my life in so many ways. I want to thank him for that." And then Paul walks up, and he was he was like, "Artie and I, we agree on virtually nothing, but but there is one thing. I have enriched his life." <laughs> <laughs> and you could just see Art's face like I'm gonna fucking kill you <laughs> and then flash forward to 1999 I think Paul was inducted and they again weren't speaking and Paul goes and I guess I, I should thank Artie it's a shame our friendship ended I'm hoping one day that we'll speak again then he paused but no rush there's no rush <laughs> so even on his own solo moment he had to burn man. Garfunkel <laughs> man um, and so and then I think ninety three we'll move ahead to yeah that was yeah. a weird year that was in Los Angeles the first time that they moved it somewhere else and that was the year of Credence right that was the Credence thing yes which was very uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> which was basically the other guys in Credence yeah did not know 
They thought they there was no performance. Or they thought there was a chance. Like Tom Fogarty's son, he showed up and he brought his guitar and he really thought that he was going to play his father's parts. And there was a performance, but the only member of Credence that was involved was John yeah. Fogarty. And what's important to note is John hadn't really been playing Credence songs in a very long time at that point. So even to get him to, to even agree to play Credence songs was a big deal. And he was in the middle of like, was like round 500 of his battle with the Credence guys. And so he, he told the Hall of Fame that he would play, but not with Doug and Stu. But they didn't bother to tell Doug and Stu that. So they got like like Springsteen, Robbie Robertson, and like the house band. Right? Yeah, yeah. But they get up there, they all speak, and you can just see the tension up there. And then John walks over and plays "Born in the Bayou" with Springsteen and Robertson, and Doug and Stu just stand there, just like volcanoes. There was like steam pouring out of their eyeballs almost. I, I mean. Can- Textually speaking, they had supported Saul Zance in his lawsuit against Fogarty, right? And that was so. It's not like this yeah. came out of nowhere. He was he was furious for a reason. According yeah, to him. yeah. I think that they see all that in a very different way than John saw it. <laughs> you know. Well, you know. <laughs> yes, but yes. So it was a moment of tremendous like tension, and it it, it became infamous. And then that's what sort of caused. That was their breaking point in which they hired a new singer and started touring as Credence Clearwater revisited. Right. And then John sued them for that. <laughs> and the judge said, well, it is two-thirds of the members. That's two-thirds of the name. That sounds fair to me. <laughs> and that mem- that is Gorsuch. <laughs> yeah, that's Gorsuch. He's a newest member of the Supreme Court. A, that, that kind of Solomonic wisdom is what we need on the Supreme Court. Yes. So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music now. Uh, we are going through some of the craziest moments in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame history, and we have much more for you. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So yeah. where, where are we in our chronology? Uh, let's jump to 1994. Good year. When, yeah, stellar year in <laughs> which Bruce Springsteen and Axl Rose, they did a spontaneous come together to honor John Lennon. <laughs> yeah, this was uh, always tantalized. I was talking at the beginning of the show that back then... And it, it's one of those things that's so hard to communicate pre-internet. But so the Hall of Fame would happen. You're a kid at home, if you cared. That was like, if you're the weird kind of kid who cared about that kind of thing. And uh, you'd literally, all you'd hear about it was on the news. They'd be like, "And the Hall of Fame induction happened here, and here's what happened." They'd show like five seconds yeah, of Axl Rose then, and Bruce Springsteen singing, and I'd be like, "What? That's yeah, crazy!" Then in Rolling Stone, in the random notes, there'd be pictures, <laughs> and you would just drool over them. And that, yeah. that, that's that's all you got, and yes. that's all I got. And for years, I wanted to hear this. I mean, and it's not. And actually, let's we, we through our current technology, we can hear it right now. So let's hear a little bit of Axl and Bruce singing together for the only time, probably <laughs> in their lives. Come 
cool. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, the truth is, I mean, you know, it <laughs> as badly as I wanted to hear yeah. it all those years, it, it really does just well, sound exactly like it, a Bruce Springsteen imitator and an Axl Rose imitator singing together. It's it, like very much just the thing they're doing. It was supposed to be Elton John and Rod Stewart. Right. But there was an earthquake and Rod Stewart's <laughs> kids were really freaked out and they didn't want him to fly cross country. So he skipped the induction so they so they had a, a a big hole to fill and it just sort of got got, got filled randomly by springsteen and axel the as legend has it it literally came together so to speak during the show during the live yeah. show the producers went around and they were like bruce come sing it and he wasn't really feeling it then they enlisted axel and axel like came over to bruce and then they're like yeah. they're basically like screw it let's, let's just let's do, it. do it let's and do it and they, and they did it again according to legend with absolutely no rehearsal and like what it sounds like is kind of like they went up and did karaoke right together, you know just and two buds doing karaoke what's noteworthy it's axel's final performance before he vanished yeah and when you saw him again he had dreadlocks and it was like bucket head it was a whole new <laughs> world so this was like the final <laughs> glimpse the world got of like pre-crazy axel in a way springsteen was the guitarist between slash and Buckethead? yeah you're right <laughs> <That's Yeah. it. laughs> but it, it's it when you hear it you can tell that this was it did not have a lot of premeditation but i think there's something really cool about it I mean, it's just it's yeah. one of those things like one of those weird like sort of classic rock things where you can show people be like this happened like, can you and believe it that's part of the fun of the hall of fame before it became a big tv special exactly it was less rehearsed it was in a ballroom there was less it was like lower stakes so so things would just happen now it's still great but it's it's rehearsed yeah it's much more rehearsed it's very they're not going to pull someone off the table no never happen um, okay then the next year is a favorite of mine it's when led zeppelin got inducted <laughs> and the timing was just crazy because page and plant had just come together and they didn't invite john paul jones and at the press conference for page and plant when they asked about john paul jones plant jokes yeah i think he's parking cars out back Oof. and it really pissed off jones who they didn't even tell about the tour he saw it advertised then then he saw their their album was what's called no quarter which was his song and he was just livid but then they had to go play with them out of the hall of fame didn't he say like i'm no, glad that he we, uh... walks up to the microphone through gritted teeth and it's like i want to thank my band members for finally remembering my phone number ouch <laughs> yeah and then the jam <laughs> the jam uh neil young my understanding from from reading the the great biography shaky is that yeah. neil young had basically practically never heard Led Zeppelin supposedly yeah. which I, I how could that be and then he he ended up basically yeah. it was like Led Zeppelin plus one with Neil Young yeah. like dominating the proceedings and so bizarre they played with Steven Tyler and Joe Perry too oh I forgot I always forget about that yeah and then that was Neil's year in which he got inducted and he wanted to do a jam with them <laughs> so they doing the levy breaks but Neil just stepped up like he does and, just, and he just took over he didn't realize this is like a hugely <laughs> historic moment and he didn't know the song very well so it sounds nothing <laughs> Thing like when the levy breaks, it's like ten minutes of like craziness. When the levy breaks down by the river, kind of. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so so let's let's hear a little bit of, of that nightmare, <laughs> which I kind of like, but it's bizarre. So let's jump ahead to two thousand and two. Yeah, that was a really interesting year because Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers got inducted. And their bassist, Howie, was incredibly sick and was basically dying. He died a couple <laughs> months later. That's the last time that they played with them. And it's really hard to watch those clips because he looks horrible. Uh, and the Ramones got in. Yeah, and that was... 
Eddie Vedder showed up. Yeah, he showed up with a mohawk <laughs> and then proceeded to talk for 17 or something straight minutes, just, just off the cuff, crazy and awesome. And then Johnny gets up there. Yeah. You know, Joey had just died. Johnny didn't go to the funeral even, you know, they hated each other. Yeah. And Johnny gets up there and was like, I, I want to thank President George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> you know who to say that in that room he's probably, he's probably the one bush voter in the room and then dd gets up there and you know it's like dd's crazy and all he does is just pat himself on the back and say thank you dd i'm gonna thank you dd and then he died of a heroin overdose i think three months later wow yeah so it was sort of a very sad in hindsight but the cool thing was that the talking heads reunited yeah and that's something that david burns said he would never do and the other three have been begging for it forever. They toured as just the heads with a different singer a few years <laughs> earlier. And he went ballistic. Um, but he sucked it up. They rehearsed for days and days and days. They brought in Bernie Worrell. They did Psycho Killer. They did Life During, they did, they did Life During Wartime. They did Bring Down the House. And it was sort of a nice way to end it on a high note. And so what next? Do you want, do you want to talk uh, about Prince? The, the, the next year was a huge bummer in 2003 because The Clash got in. Yeah. And Joe Strummer wanted to play. Yeah. And after they got inducted, he was telling people that he wanted to play. And Paul Simon, the, the bass player, said no. The last few hours of Joe's life, he was he was faxing Paul Simon and Ugh. and telling him that his solo band bassist, he was going to like step in if he wouldn't do it. Yikes. And then he dropped out of a heart attack. Uh, so it's really tragic. Because that could have restarted the clash. If they played there, they could have have gotten back. So it's really upsetting. And when did the ugly stuff with Blondie happen? Was that like the next year? The Blondie shit was 06. Yeah. So we're skipping oh, so the Prince stuff. Let's, we'll, let's go to Prince. So this moment, I mean, you can't talk about it enough. First of all, um, Prince's own performance was so great. Uh, yeah, th- so th- this perfect. was perfect. This was his big comeback here. This was the 20th anniversary of Purple Rain, where he was going to go on a big reunion tour. On, on a big tour of his hits for the right. first time in a long time. Re- well, it sort of was a reunion tour because yeah. it was a reunion of, of Prince with being Prince as yeah. opposed to, yeah. Yeah, but this was the start of it. This was the first push of that year was this. So he gets up there and he wants to kind of show the world that he's back. Yeah, and he did Sign of the Times. He did let it, was a, it was a huge medley yeah. with Sheila E and everything and it was awesome. It was awe-inspiring. It was one of the greatest live performances I've ever seen, just his part. Yeah. And then... You know, and this was discussed a lot in the wake of his passing. But man, I mean, I was actually I was in the audience uh, when they did "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." You know, Prince did kind of what Neil Young did to Led Zeppelin, but somehow it 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 worked better uh, because it it was still a tribute to George Harrison, a tribute to the Beatles, but he also just took it to the stratosphere. It's one of the and maybe the single best guitar solo I've seen in person it was yeah. just it was sort of this thing where just when you think it was going to end it like yeah. went up another well, level and I, then he threw his guitar and, it, and as far as I could it's tell still in the air. It, <laughs> as far as I could tell it never landed so let, yeah. let's hear a little bit of that Prince claimed a few months later the first time he ever heard that song was, was that morning I don't believe him but go on yeah um and when I interviewed Paul Schaefer about it a few years ago, he he told me that they rehearsed it and it was great, but that Prince held back a lot. And when it was the <laughs> show, he just took it to level 6,000. And I think at first that George's family 
they didn't want him to be a part of it. They wanted people that knew George. Yeah. But they were, but they got sense talking to them and they said, they said, okay. And then he just took it to town. It, uh, it was really incredible. And that was the same year as Bob Seger and the, and the Silver Bullet Band, which are overlooked. But it was the first time they played together in a long time. <laughs> poor, poor Bob, he hadn't, uh, he blew out his voice that week, ready over rehearsed. Yeah, yeah, he that sucked. It, it had been almost 10 years since last time that he played anywhere. Yeah, what a bummer. But it, and so people kind of thought his voice was gone, which it, which it's not. Yeah, yeah. When he came back like four years after that, his first tour, it was very awesome. Uh, then 06 was a crazy year. It was Black Sabbath that didn't actually play, <laughs> which was a bummer. They were in some they, they were in some fight, so so like they wouldn't play. But and then the Sex Pistols they they got inducted, but they didn't show up. <laughs> and from what I've heard, the th- that the three guys were dying to come. Johnny Rotten, he said, "Hell no." Yeah, I love how in this context he's Johnny Rotten, like for sure. He's not oh, John yeah. Lydon. No, no, he's Johnny Rotten. Sex Pistols. He wrote a letter that Jan read, right? That called the museum like urine and wine, <laughs> piss stain or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he really, he kind of wrote it on the Johnny Rotten nomadic. It wasn't very creative. It was not interesting. No, <laughs> but then Leonard Skinner got inducted. Yeah, and the Skinner at that point was down to like three members of the old band, and there were three former members that they that had been said sued them and there's a lot of hatred there but they sucked it up they all played together that was included backup singers that were in the plane crash that hadn't performed as part of Skinner since the plane crash who, who survived the plane crash <laughs> yes no yeah. it, it was some of them died it was actual right. ghosts yeah. <laughs> yes no of course yes it was survivors the of the plane crash <laughs> yeah. that left the group after the plane crash came back and they did free bird with everybody and it was amazing it was just an emotional moment because you think that they would fight, you know. But what happened was Blondie, <laughs> that they got on stage. And there had been a lot of bad blood when they reunited. And they didn't bring back some of the old members. And they, and they wouldn't play with them. So the only opportunity they had to speak to Debbie was at the podium. <laughs> mm. So they were like, Debbie, can we play? <laughs> at the podium. And she goes, the band's over there. And they go, Debbie, I thought we were the band. Oh, and this is that was agony. it was agony to watch. I was there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, it's just not fun. It's not even funny. But yeah. no. But if you're an ex, you know, if you've been a blondie for 20 years and your bitterness has reached that point, you can't help yourself. You know. Yeah. And so what next? In 2007, it was a big year. It was the first hip hop act inducted, which was Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Yeah. It was REM who who they reformed that night with Bill Berry on drums. Uh, but the the big news that night was Van Halen because it was right before David Lee Roth came back. <laughs> and I think Eddie, he was in rehab. They, they picked a horrible time to like, get in. And so the only people who showed up actually were Sammy Hagar and Michael Anthony. And they played with Paul Schaefer in the CBS Orchestra. <laughs> and it was a bit of a train wreck. And then Velvet Revolver, they played, they played something. I think I'm talking about love. Yeah. And... But at the All-Star Jam at the end, it was also Patti Smith's year. Yes, it's one of my favorite Hall of Fame moments yeah. of all time as far as just pure insanity. So they're doing People Have the Power. You've got Eddie Vedder there. You all these people. <laughs> you have Patti Smith. You have R.E.M. And then when it comes time for, you know, they're passing the microphone around, it goes from Eddie Vedder to Sammy Hagar. 
Yeah, and Sammy Hagar was just roaring through people of the power. And the thing is, it sounded great. He's a great singer. Right. It just it made more sense if you closed your eyes. Let me put it that way, because he's like sitting there wearing his like Sammy Garb next to Patty Smith, and Patty Smith and Sammy Hagar. People act like they're from different planets, but yeah. they're both singers. Like right. they can both sing the same song. It's really it, in the end, it's all right. You but know. it's just a rare opportunity <laughs> for Sammy to be part of like the Eddie Vedder world. Yes, he's never was, in that. Yeah, he was, deserves to be. I love Sammy. <laughs> you know, he I always too, complains yeah. to me that he's not invited to Bonnaroo or Orta Coachella you know he's never asked to be part of these things yeah and he sang it with extra gusto he was great, it so was that, great. Was, that was a great moment so what next uh, 2009 in Cleveland you have Metallica yeah and then the guitar jam at the end that was a big guitar year a lot with of bass players weren't there like a lot of bass players on stage that well year? what happened they played the Metallica set with two bass players right you had Jason Newstead and you had Rob Trujillo right um, and then you had Jeff Beck, who played with Jimmy Page, they did an awesome Beck's Bolero and Immigrant Song thing. And then Joe Perry was there to play with Run DMC, who then wind up performing. So at the very end of it, they did a jam on... Trent kept the rolling. Uh, yeah. Which I which was your idea, I believe. I, yeah. Well, I I did suggest it to yes. someone involved in the Hall of Fame. I I, I can't take. I, I'd like to take credit for that. I, right. I, but I, I don't know. It was kind of obvious. I'm yeah. sure they would have gotten there. So they so, did. Yeah. Up to Rolling it was the first time that Metallica played it. There's always guitarists, and they're all going to solo. But Lars didn't know the song and just ended it early and really <laughs> fucked it up. It was oh, still Lars. it was still really cool to see Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck playing together. That's still, that's the only time I've seen Jimmy Page perform. It's so rare you get to see him. It's true. It's tough. And it was very it was very very cool. Uh, then 2012 was Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And this was a big deal because for so many years before this, the big question is when G and R get inducted, are they going to finally play with Axel? Right. It was, you know, and then so Axel in the end uh, did not, uh, not only did not appear, but I, th- he actually said that you can't induct me. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> and I, he wrote the, he wrote this letter, and it was it it really it, it gets into that Axel Rose pro style. Uh, you know, for the record, I would not begrudge anyone from Guns their accomplishments or recognitions for such. Um, and you know, I won't be intended. I won't be attending the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I respectfully decline my induction. I strongly <laughs> request that I not be inducted in absentia. And please let know that no one is authorized, nor may nor maybe anyone be permitted to accept any induction for me or speak on my behalf. <laughs> Neither former members, label representatives, nor the Rock and Roll Fame should apply, whether directly, indirectly, or by omission, that I am included in any imported purported induction of Guns and Roses. Wow, that's really definitely the style of the some of, of the guy who wrote Sweet Child of Mine. He yeah. definitely wrote that himself. Yes, absolutely. his lawyer did not write that. No, in that was him. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, so so and so they had to bring in Miles Kennedy, right, lead singer of Slash's solo band and and Alter Bridge, and then they performed the first time with Stephen Adler in a very long time, and it was kind of great. It was nice. It wasn't you know it was anticlimactic, but it was nice. Yeah, and then 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 the faces got inducted, but Rod Stewart had strep, <laughs> so they brought in like Mick Hucknell from Simply Red, <laughs> of and course. it was fucking. Awesome. When they played Stay With Me, when Ron Wood just tore it up and with Ian McClag on the organ, it was the best I'd ever seen Ron Wood play. Yeah, I actually will say that it helped me understand a couple things. Like, 
more viscerally like why the faces were considered such a great band and and yes yeah, second of all hearing ron wood is the only guitarist you could yeah. actually hear just what he was playing it's like whoa ron wood was playing and he was newly sober too yeah um and he had his it, he had his girlfriend at the time there i remember seeing her yeah like, young, young woman like in middle school yeah, yeah. oh stop no come on man <laughs> come on stop it. Uh, <laughs> oh man um i'm joking i love you <laughs> so that that was definitely a really and then 2013 was in los angeles it was this awesomely random year of Hart and Randy Newman and Public Enemy Rush and Donna Summer and Albert King and it, it culminated with this all-star jam of Rush and Public Enemy playing together. It was very very interesting and very fun and I think Rush for Rush it was a real challenge for Neil Peart is a real challenge he's not used to having to loosen up and jam and play with people who he likes to pre- prepare extremely meticulously but let's hear a little bit of that because it, it was such a wonderful moment yeah, it was crossroads yeah crossroads in the lead up to crossroads they had dmc and chuck d rapping over Neil Peart's drums, which actually is less insane than you'd think because, of course, Tom Sawyer was a very popular loop. Right, but it's so unusual for Rush to, <laughs> to play with anybody. But anyway, John Fogarty was right there. John Fogarty was like high-fiving yeah. Getty Lee. And I think it's great for, for someone like Rush who, who kind of tend to be over in their own corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got a chance to feel the love from the larger rock and roll community, so that was great. It was great. And 2014 was the crazy year of, that we talked about of like, Hall & Oates and Peter Gabriel and the Kiss thing, Cat Stevens. It was more about the build-up than the actual event. Yeah, well, it was. It'll, it'll be the last time probably that all four of them stand together. Right. So it was still a moment, but it's a, it's a bummer they didn't play. Uh, and then last year was a very unusual year with Cheap Trick and Chicago and Deep Purple and Steve Miller, who went insane backstage. That's, that's the only time the story of the night was the backstage press room. Yeah, and this is a good place to sort of finish up, which was yes. Steve, Steve Miller just went off. What, what was Steve Miller's problem? He was angry at the Hall of Fame for like a hundred different reasons. He said that they didn't honor women enough, which is a fair point to make. He said that their finances are all secret, which is not true. It's a nonprofit. <laughs> he said they should devote more attention to rock education, which they do. He was just some psychotic mood and he went crazy in the press room and, and then didn't he try to like um, enlist the members yeah, of NWA in he a, in a, pulled aside Dre and Cube and tried to enlist them in his war against the <laughs> Hall of Fame <laughs> which I love this is a, a thing that I've, I'm obsessed with I'm obsessed with the fact that on the first NWA album there are so many freaking samples of Steve Miller on that album yeah. there's like 12 in a way it was it was so cool that they were both inducted because yeah because steve probably made more money but off that record than nwa i did. imagine the look on dre and cube's face of like what the hell is this guy talking about we're being honored tonight why is he so fucking pissed you know, it was, yeah it's really funny he's like, <laughs> it was so bad the black keys called rolling stone the next week and voiced regret for, for even for even agreeing <laughs> To induct Steve Miller, <laughs> and now Steve Miller seems. We, we just played some 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 audio yeah. from Steve Miller talking about Chuck Berry. He just I, talked to us. He seems totally cool. Yeah, yeah. he is he's forgiven and, and forgetting. Yeah. So uh, before we wrap by, we, we did one thing. We skipped over was one of my favorite moments was Neil Diamond when he just went off. Yeah, he had flown in from Australia that yeah. same morning, 
and was all jet lagged and crazy and just got on stage. Well, someone mentioned uh, you don't bring me flowers. It was Paul Simon's induction speech yeah. was kind of cracking jokes about some of his sort of softer songs. <laughs> yeah. And I think Neil just like jet lagged and possibly like he was possibly a bit tipsy or something. He came out roaring, <laughs> cursed his way through the speech. It was awesome. Then and he played Sweet Caroline and <laughs> put the mic right in Springsteen's face at his table. He's like, sing, bus. <laughs> like yeah. it was really like, it was, <laughs> show me what you can do. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it was great. It was I, awesome. I, I, I loved it. I loved And I talked to him afterwards about it. And he was just like, I don't know. I just, remember, <laughs> you know, so. anyway, so we, we had fun talking about the, craziest moments of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the new induction ceremony is going to be airing on HBO at the end of April and we'll be back next week with another episode of Rolling Stone Music Now at 1pm on volume. In the meantime download us as a, as a podcast on iTunes or rollingstone.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.